0: Good afternoon. Thanks so much for being with us on the show today. A little different from yesterday, but we are going to continue on that topic and take a look at what is happening in the United States. So we are hearing from various leaders today about what happens next.
1: I joined the Senate Democratic leader in calling on the vice president to remove this president by immediately invoking the 25th Amendment. If the vice president and cabinet do not act, the Congress may be prepared to move forward
0: With impeachment. That was Nancy Pelosi speaking earlier today. Let's bring in Thane Rosenbaum, CBS legal analyst. Thane, thank you so much for taking some time with us today.
2: Any time for you, Jill.
0: Uh, Jill, talk a little bit more about those comments from Nancy Pelosi and what we might see happen next.
2: Well, I mean, look, there's three options. One is hold your breath and wait for two weeks. And the president has already, this morning, indicated uh, i guess his reassurance that what you saw yesterday was not an insurrection that he fully understands that after the senate and the joint session of congress in the senate yesterday uh that the certification of the biden victory has been now ratified by the uh, both houses of congress and that he believes in a peaceful transfer of power and that there'll be no impediment to that okay so that's one solution <laughs> Um, another solution is the 25th Amendment, which is really a, an, an incapacity argument, right, that you're in, you, you know, for all sorts of reasons because of your judgment, because of your mental capacity, physical health. There are all sorts of reasons historically where it doesn't happen very often. Woodrow Wilson uh, was basically not even speaking. I think had a stroke for the last year of his presidency, but they didn't invoke the 25th Amendment. They just kept going. Um, but, yes, they could repl- have, you know, the president removed and replaced. Uh, by the vice president for two weeks. uh, And that would be a short presidency. (laughs) Um, And of course, they can try impeachment, which I understand there's at least one congressperson that's already drafted articles of impeachment. Remember, President Trump has already been impeached. So that tells you that, you know, there's probably enough time symbolically, if Congress wanted to do so, to vote on articles of impeachment and impeach the president. What we don't have time for is the trial to remove the president remember that's what happened last time the president was impeached but during the senate uh trial impeachment trial he was acquitted mm-hmm. so he re- he remained in office so that's a symbolic gesture that it wouldn't be shocking to see if uh, if the congress did so there's a majority of democrats in the house and there's plenty of disgusted republican senators that might join them
0: uh, and what about the issue of Trump's past and his record as far as telling the truth? I mean, it's even come to the point where this president was banned from popular social media sites because during that riot yesterday, he was sending out information that was also false. So when he says, don't worry, it's going to be a peaceful transfer of power, do people believe him?
2: I don't know. You know, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what impulse he had this morning. Was he just Trump simply trying to defuse the anger, but that in three days, you know, this is a president with very, very strong impulsivity, you know, (laughs) capacity. Everything for him is an impulse and he changes, you know, radically. That's what I'm saying. Hold your breath for two weeks and hope he meant what he said for two weeks. It's precisely because it's two weeks away and because, you know, he may still feel that the election was stolen, but there have been so many different ways in which that statement has been disavowed you know, 60 lawsuits now, six hours, well, not six, but a number of hours of debate in a joint session in Congress, invoking for the very first time, Jill, the Electoral Count Act that was for the first time was never used before, uh, because you've never had senators and congresspersons together joining in to object to these letters of ascertainment. We've had over the years, even recently, a, a lone congressperson getting up and saying, I would like to challenge the electoral count vote. The vice president, presiding officer at that point said, do you have a senator who joins with you? That's the rule. You have to be both a senator and a congressperson together in writing. And that's never happened before. So we we had that yesterday. And, you know, within the first what hour within last first half hour, it all came to an end because there was a riot on, on on the Capitol building.
0: And even watching that when it reconvened after when things calmed down, I was watching some of it and still in kind of disbelief that it had come to the point where it was being covered on live television. And this was a proceeding now that people were glued to uh, probably many people that had no idea it even existed before.
2: That's right. Well, you know, it's interesting that you would say that, you know, for as our neighbor and and sibling up north, um, because, you know, again, we've never done this before. Everyone knew that whatever was happening yesterday was ultimately ceremonial. Why? Because the Democrats have the majority in the Congress. And so that after the debates on each state, when they vote to either certify the state or toss the state, invariably, if all the Democrats just simply band together, they they will certify the vote. So, you know, this was in some ways, frankly, you know, an exercise in in democratic participation, right? Uh, Thousands of people came uh, under the First Amendment. They have the right to assemble. They have the right to speak, to make their uh, uh, public, their opinions known to the government. That's perfectly legitimate under the First Amendment. Uh, Congress invoked, uh, according to this 19th century statute, uh, a series of two-hour debates that they had planned, two hours for each of three different states, six hours of debates. Uh, followed by each one would have a vote. And then at the end, they would simply certify the election. It could have looked good (laughs) in a perfect world. You go, wow, that's a pretty amazing process. And then all the people went home feeling better because before they said, well, look, 60 lawsuits were uh, were dismissed. You know, what else can we try? Well, you tried this and it didn't work. And, you know, I doubt it. But maybe that's what the president's thinking. We've tried everything. And we've we've run aground. We've exhausted all possibilities.
0: And just before I let you go, what about the legal ramifications or are there any following this for for the president, for lawmakers and for those who participated?
2: Well, we have a Supreme Court case, Brandenburg versus Ohio. Um, The president would be exempt from it now because he's the president. But after he's the president, it's questionable whether he can be indicted for having incited a riot. You cannot engage. You don't have a First Amendment right to engage in uh, to say things that would cause imminent lawlessness, which means, Jill, if you wait, if the crowd waited a day, then they could have done what they wanted. But the fact that the the president said, yeah, I think he said, go over there because we'll never change to get our country back unless from weakness. That was his words. Those were very, you know, very scary words. We will never take our country back from weakness so they just walked over to the capitol hill you, you can claim that this is a question for a judge or a jury is that in you know inciting uh, imminent lawlessness and if it is he can't say well i'm you know i have a first amendment right to express my view that the election was stolen and therefore we need to you know take it back well you know if it led to his you know he he may be he has Immunity, while he is president from criminal prosecution, we learned that during the Mueller investigation, but not after. The other thing is interesting is that his chief lawyer, former mayor Giuliani, said something worse after that. He said something, he used the word combat. Yeah. That maybe, right, you probably know it better than what did he
0: say. (laughs) I I don't have the exact quote, but I remember thinking, I can't believe Giuliani just said that. Yeah, combat
2: to me, you know, what the president said is we have to take back our state uh, our our country and we can't do it from weakness. Okay, well that I think that's a little over the edge of of imminent lawlessness. But to say our, I'm putting my reputation on armed combat, there there's no immunity for Mayor Giuliani right now. He could be indicted tomorrow. If people believe that the death of this person and all those injuries and the attack on the on the state, the the various different penalties for treason and you know, the various penalties for an attack on uh, domestic terrorism against the people of the country, it symbol, sim, symbolized by an attack on their Capitol building, right? Mm-hmm. Remember, Jill, you know, nothing like this has happened to us since the War of 1812. We've never had this situation where, you know, there was an, there was an attack on our government.
0: Well, Thane, uh, so, and, uh, sorry, go I, ahead. I just say one last thing. Yeah, for sure. Speaking
2: to a Canadian, Jill, I, I'm embarrassed. I'm I'm utterly embarrassed, and I, I, you're so lovely and terrific, but I'm embarrassed that I'm here even explaining this to you.
0: We were just uh, talking about some of the legal ramifications, the political fallout after the events yesterday at Capitol Hill in the United States. So we wanted to also talk about uh, what uh, the Canadian response has been, and David Mosscrop joins me now, who is a, a writer, an author, a podcaster. David, thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure. Uh, I know you've written about this uh, and uh, saw what happened in the United States uh, yesterday. What was your initial response uh, to uh, seeing things unfold?
3: Well, that it was shocking, but not surprising. Shocking in the sense that we were watching an insurrection fomented by the President of the United States play out in real time. But not surprising insofar far it was the logical conclusion of a populist authoritarian who's been dog whistling and sometimes expressly calling uh, to these sorts of of insurrectionists for years.
0: It's an interesting way of putting it because there was certainly a lot of debate with people that were expressing surprise that was happening and, and people saying exactly that. Why would you be surprised by this in everything we've seen in the last four years and even longer if you go back in the history of the states? Uh, what do you, what's your take on the fact that people, uh, I guess even knowing the type of president Donald Trump is, were surprised that the violence unfolded the way it did?
3: I mean, there's a persistent myth of of American exceptionalism and this idea, sometimes implicit, sometimes made explicit, that it can't happen here, here being in the United States. That you know, that is something that happens elsewhere. That's something that happens in countries in which the United States has historically decided to interfere or play for their strategic geopolitical reasons and so on and so forth. You know, you get those sort of often racist colonialist constructs of so that's an, that's a problem for elsewhere. And so it's, it's shocking to admit that it happened in the United States. And yet, and I wrote about this in The Globe uh, yesterday and, and today, that it is the sort of thing that has pervaded American history for hundreds of years. So I think a lot of the shock was people trying to process their own history uh, and, and the moment that had been a long time coming.
0: Uh, do you think some of the shock also was, given the fact that uh, this was something that, that again, uh, a lot of people saying it shouldn't have surprised anyone, uh, it did appear uh, law enforcement that was there, that was at the Capitol building, obviously, I, I mean, did their job, but they were still not prepared uh, for whatever reason. They weren't prepared for this to happen, even given all of those warnings.
3: Uh, that That part was genuinely shocking and surprising uh, at least at first glance that you would expect i mean and i heard this time and time again as as i'm sure many listeners did that if you would expect anywhere in the world to be secure it would be the united states capitol building and and the hill more generally and it wasn't and now there's of course lots of theories about why that was was it you know incompetence was it the fact that that nobody seems to be running the show was it that there's a double standard for whether or not there's a black lives matter protest or or a trump protest quote unquote which plainly there was, or was it something more sinister than that? Even that there was, you know, sympathy with the, the insurrectionists. That'll get sorted in the days to come, weeks to come, perhaps even months to come. But it was that part was genuinely shocking because you would have expected a higher level of security. Uh, and in fact, if you listen to lawmakers in the U.S. responding, you you heard that from a lot of them.
0: When we talk about the phrase, too, we didn't think it could happen here. And in this scenario, we're talking about what happened yesterday, largely in the United States uh, at the Capitol building, some other uh, buildings as well. We also saw a small protest in Vancouver uh, in front of the art gallery uh, that turned violent. Uh, some of the reporters uh, were, were attacked. Uh, do you think we have a false sense of being Canadian? And not that we have the same type of leadership as in the United States, but do we feel like something like this uh, couldn't happen here? Or we don't have the same issues here?
3: Oh my God, yes. Uh, There's a typical and persistent Canadian smugness. It's not quite the the arrogance of the United States, but there's a certain smugness, especially when we compare ourselves to to the US. We can sort of see their pathologies in ways that uh, sometimes they can't, I think, that we're somehow fundamentally different and inherently different. But that's not true. I mean, those things could happen here, and in many cases, they have happened here, indigenous genocide, for instance. Uh, you know, residential schools up until recently, the attack on Mi'kmaq fishermen uh, that was largely ignored by the RCMP just months ago and so on and so forth.
4: We, we,
3: we do have our own deeply problematic history. Uh, you know, one of the big differences, though, is that while those populations exist everywhere, they don't get activated by elites in the same way or at the same rate everywhere. In the United States, this was brought about in large part by political elites, Republicans mostly, who made the decision to foster extremism and to activate these people. In Canada, that's that's happened too, but to a much lesser and less effective degree. But it could happen here if someone decided to pursue it. And that's why we ought to be so careful with extremism, because it's lurking always.
0: And what's your response to when we see some of those in the United States who were very much part of this, the lead up to what happened yesterday, very much you could point to them and say your words were part of what incited this, your actions were part, which then had an about face yesterday, which also seems a lot like it's too little too late. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, it's in the aftermath of yesterday, you're seeing lots of White House officials resign. You've seen at least one cabinet member, member, uh, cabinet um, secretary from the Department of Transportation, resign. And, you know, lawmakers do, as you say, in a bad face. Mitch McConnell, for instance, and Vice President Pence, even, in deciding to to go ahead with the congressional certification of the vote. Now, you might say, well, that's just them finally having a come to Jesus moment and doing their constitutional duty to the republic. But you also might say it's pretty convenient, isn't it, with two weeks to go, (laughs) that they're trying to save their careers and their hinds on the way out the door, you know, like rats fleeing a sinking ship. Uh, I mean, it's probably – it depends on the person, (laughs) which it is. It's probably some mix of the two for lots of folks, though. I I wouldn't let them off the hook so easily. I think in the aftermath of this, the United States is going to have a long and deep reckoning, and people ought to be held accountable for at least the last four
0: years. All right, Uh, David, we'll leave it there for today. I always appreciate you coming on the show uh, and talking uh, about the various uh, political issues. Thanks so much for joining us.
3: My pleasure, thank you.
0: Well this is a story. We wanted to spend a little time talking about yesterday, but as you know as things unfolded and the violence and the riots started in the Capitol building in the US, so we shifted and we brought you live coverage of that. But we still wanted to go back to this story because Vancouver police are still asking for other witnesses and people to come forward after an unprovoked attack with a machete on New Year's Eve. It happened in downtown Vancouver near Granville and Nelson. And uh, there were more than one victim of attacks, but this particular attack uh, left a man with stitches, a large cut to his head and stitches. Uh, His name is William Johnson. He also goes by the name Tree. And I caught up with him yesterday, and he talked to me about how things unfolded. Thank you very much. Uh, Walk us through what happened. Uh, I know you have a, a pretty big gash on your head right now. What happened to you?
4: I was uh, coming back from seeing a friend at the law courts. He's homeless, so I visit him every day. And I was coming back out for New Year's to come home to get a beer and have be able to be up for New Year's. I come back with my speaker. It was on, and this guy comes up behind me. He says, give me your speaker. I turned around and said no, and then he gave me a machete to the head. I thought he was... He thought I was going to go down, but I didn't go down. I ran across the street into the Doner shop on Granville and Nelson, and I asked him to call me an ambulance and the cops.
0: That's, I can't even imagine the shock of telling somebody no, I'm not going to give you my property and then uh, then getting that kind of an attack. Did you see the machete when he came up to you? No, I did not. And and, and what kind of injury do you have now?
4: Uh, It's I have four stitches to my head. It's just like a straight line, but they sewed it up. It's not bad. I got some discoloration on the side of my head. I guess it's maybe from the bruise or something like that, but it's all stitched up. It's... Personally, I still feel the the bruise on it.
0: Yeah. yeah, I would imagine you might feel that for a while. Uh, had you ever seen this person on Granville Street before?
4: No. I've never seen this guy at all.
0: So at that point, when you ran uh, to the don- air shop uh, to get help, uh, how did things unfold then? It sounds like people did try and help you.
4: Yeah, the two people at the air shop gave me uh, paper towels to conceal my wound and make sure the bleeding stopped. A couple of onlookers were, but, you know, they walked by. And then this one guy, one guy asked me, are you all right? Do you need to sit down? And I said, I don't need to sit down. I I you no, know, if I sat down, I probably would have passed out or something.
0: Hmm. Did but, you? Did you have to go to the hospital?
4: Oh yes. Yeah. I only spent an hour and a half in the hospital. They gave me stitches. They wanted to give me staples, and I said no. Staples are too much. I don't wish this on anybody, but I want him to stay in and think about what he did. I'm a nice guy out here. I'd buy people food. I'd buy them coffees. I don't give them money for drugs. Never. You see the drugs everywhere. It's just not right.
0: Well, I mean, th- th- this shouldn't happen to anybody. And, and I know I heard you talking uh, with my colleagues at Global as well, saying exactly what you just said. You're out there trying to do good things and trying to be nice and help people. And here uh, you get a machete to the head.
4: Yeah, I was I was a bad person the first time I came out here. I was into the drugs and everything. I went and got clean came back and i'm still trying to turn over a new leaf Uh,
0: have you noticed a change i know others have talked about that area where this happened to you granville and nelson the whole stretch of granville have you noticed a change in that area recently
4: oh yeah it's like it's filling up with hastings people like they're doing drugs they're dealing it down here they're everywhere it's all everywhere
0: Will it change uh, how you act or or what you do in the area? I I know this is an area where where you frequent. This is is part of your community. Will this change uh, how you are uh, when you go out on Granville Street in the future?
4: Oh, yes. Right now, I'm watching my back. Like, I have to turn around every once in a while just to see who's behind me. You know, because I don't know what's going to happen. Even if I do get another, like, my hat, my hat that I have, I have a bear hat. It's got two ears and a little hat on top. Mm -hmm. When the machete went in, it sliced it. Like it sliced it open. I think my hat saved my life. I really do. I honestly do believe that. Because if I wasn't wearing a hat, I would have been dead.
0: Yeah, just trying to come home on New Year's Eve.
4: Yeah, about 7 o'clock. I think he got caught later that night. When I was at the hospital, they got him in the the police car and took him to jail. And uh, the victim, police victim services, did tell me, they phoned me yesterday and told me that he got denied bail.
0: Does that help make you feel a little safer or better when you go back out when you're walking in the area?
4: It makes me feel a little better and a little safer, yes.
0: All right. Well, Tree, I, ho- I hope you have a, a speedy recovery and, and stay safe. And thank you again so much for joining us and to talk about your story today. Thank you. All right. You might think that Tim played the wrong song. Why is he still playing Christmas music? Well, he is doing that for a reason because a local mayor is asking residents to keep those Christmas lights up. And joining me now to talk a little bit more about why is Linda Buchanan, the mayor of the city of North Vancouver. Mayor, thanks so much for being with us. Well, thanks so much, Jill, for having me. Uh, Are there still a lot of lights up in the city of North Van? There is quite a few lights still up in the city. And uh, you you were inspired by a story you saw out of Ontario. So uh, what did you see?
1: Well, it was actually, I was watching actually the CTV National News, and uh, there was the clip from um, Kitchener on Mayor uh, uh, Verbenovich's um, request that residents keep their lights uh, up just to uh, continue the spirit through these kind of darker months. And so I just retweeted a his and said, great idea. In the city of North Van, we actually, as a municipality, we do keep up our Christmas uh, lights, displays that we, that we put up as, an, as a municipality. We do keep them up till the end of January, which is something that I instigated when I first became the mayor. Um, and so I just uh, tagged onto his tweet and said, this is a great idea. And I encouraged my residents to do the same. Um, really just let's keep this spirit going from coast to coast. It's January is a dark, uh, month. Um, you know, we've just gone through Christmas, we've just, you know, we're into our 10th month
0: of a pandemic, and let's just keep people's spirits um, up. <laughs> and it's interesting, you had already uh, kind of brought that in. Was it because that January can be a dark month, uh, given even without a pandemic? Yes, it can. And so,
1: um, you know, we, we put up, like many years ago, um, our staff put up um, quite beautiful um, lights along Lawnsdale Avenue on our lamp posts, and we got a lot of of comments uh, from the community about them, and um, and often they'd say, "Oh, can you keep them up longer?" So when I came in in 2018, uh, that first Christmas, I I asked staff if they could to please keep them up longer, and and got a lot of response from the community um, of thanks, just because it does actually a uh, Create more visibility on the street um, during this time, and and it's just and then we have the lights in Civic Plaza that um, are quite colorful, and so people just like to see them. And um, you know, it's been a hard it's been a hard year, and people do feel a little bit lighter at Christmas time, and and so I just think this is a way for people to continue feeling good, and 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 you know, uh, saying hello to one another, and, and, and it also from a public safety, it gives more visibility
0: on, on darker streets. Mm. Uh, I can hear a car alarm. I'm hoping your car isn't being broken into while we're speaking. No, I think it's <laughs> out on the street. Sorry about that. <laughs> All right. No, no, that's okay. Um, have you had much response from people to this idea of keeping up the lights?
1: I haven't heard from too many, and in fact, I, I actually because I had tagged Mayor West and Mayor Vanderbrook from uh, Langley City, uh, and Mayor West from Poco to say, "Hey, you should do the same." And um, so, I when my staff said that you had called, I, I uh, messaged them and said, "Hey, I'm I'm going to be talking to Jill Jill Bennett at two o'clock, so you should respond to my tweet." But I haven't heard
0: back from <laughs> what them. that's outrageous. I
1: know, I know. <laughs> but um, no, I mean certainly from some community. And I mean, a lot of my, you know, my lights, I always, uh, you know, our lights, we always keep up till I try to go as long as I can into February, um, just because I personally like them. And um, my neighborhood has a lot of their lights still up. Um, People I see, because of course, for for many um, Christians, uh, yesterday marked their Christmas. So there's lots of Christmas trees and lights still up. So I would still encourage people to try to keep them up as long as they can Um, just let's keep the spirit going and let's kind of help people get through, you know, what we know is going to be another difficult many months ahead. And so this is just our way to, you know, just help people through a difficult time and, and uh, reaching out to one
0: another. And I think lights help to kind of lighten our moods. And it does seem, and I don't know that there's any scientific proof of this, but it does seem like more people put up lights this year.
1: I think so. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of more people obviously were staying home because there are a lot of people, and particularly across the North Shore, people who do travel at Christmas time, but now that, you know, since we were all home, yeah, I think more people did and I I actually saw a lot more trees in in front windows. There is many trees. Of many of my residents live in multifamily. family so there was lots of trees actually on balconies um that people could uh, could see. I do a lot of walking around the community, so yeah, it, w- it was really nice to see. And, and like I said, I I think it just, you know, for me personally, Christmas is. Uh, I I love Christmas. I love the feeling of Christmas, and and people, you know, in different times when we're able to gather and see. So this is just a way of of connecting with one another in in a different way. But, but again, it makes us feel good when we see, you know different colored lights and and the way in which people choose to decorate their <laughs> their homes or
0: And I think there is some some truth to, as well, we were chatting with a meteorologist, Christy Gordon, the other day, Mm -hmm. and she had the statistics of the amount of rain that we've had Mm -hmm. in the the past few weeks. And it's we're not imagining it. There has been a lot of grey days and a lot of rain. And I know some people hate snow, but there is something festive about snow. We haven't had a lot of that. So there is something. I even found myself uh, walking around uh, the other day thinking, oh, it's going to be quite sad when all of these lights are taken down because they do add a little bit of brightness, and it is nice to see them. Absolutely. And I think, you know,
1: to your point, snow actually makes our, you know, makes it a lot brighter as well, right? Mm Because we get that reflection off and we certainly have had a lot of rain over here on the North Shore. And, you know, my office is south facing and I have a lot of glass and certainly by on those dark, days by three o'clock it's pretty dark in here um, and I actually have the trees outside of my office are are lit up and I'm always saying to staff can you just leave those up all year please <laughs> but um, yeah it is uh, you know and I think if we re- recall back in 2010 when we had you know we were hosting the the Olympics here I think at that time if I recall you know the province had asked us uh, you know within the lower mainland to keep our keep our lights up longer as well so that you know it was bright for people and welcoming and inclusive, and I do think it makes a difference for people.
0: And uh, well, we'll see if the mayors get back to you. Are you planning to challenge any other mayors uh, to try and do this as well? <laughs> I haven't, I haven't, but I certainly,
1: uh, I certainly could. But um, you know, I do think you know the more that we can at this uh, at this time, as I said, it's it's been challenging. That the more I think we can help people and give people hope. Uh, you know, we've there's light at the end of the tunnel, and if we can provide that light, then we should be doing that for
0: our residents. No, oh, it sounds like a plan for sure. I, I wanted to ask you quickly, since I do have you on the line, and you mentioned mm-hmm. that this is the year where we're all staying home. Um, unfortunately, we know we're not all staying home. Uh, do you know of anybody on your council that traveled during the holidays against the advisory? I am not aware of anyone on my council who traveled. That is I believe they were all, we were all home. All right. Well, that is that is good news then for sure. Uh, Mayor Buchanan, thanks so much. I think a lot of people will likely uh, join this, uh, even if it's out of sheer laziness, leaving the lights up. Uh, leave them <laughs> up for a bit longer and let people enjoy them. Absolutely. Leave them up. Let there be light. <laughs> all right. Uh, Linda Buchanan, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Jill. Really appreciate it.